Welcome to the Founding Mothers Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Race. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Lauren Haig, she, her, the executive director and co-founder of the Weaving Earth Center for Relational Education, an educational nonprofit that encourages the study and practice of earth intimacy, co-liberation, embodiment, and prayerful action as key approaches for addressing the social and ecological crises of our times. Our own work individually, relationally, and collectively around addressing the, the traumas that we have each experienced, again, personally and collectively, and the somatic healing, really, that is needed to help us be as resourced and resilient as possible. Lauren comes from an Ashkenazi, Jewish, Odessa, Sicilian, and Scottish ancestry. As an educator, consultant, ecological designer, and creative, Lauren is dedicated to supporting people to pursue their passions and shape their actions from a foundation rooted in interrelationship. She's also deeply committed to honoring the cycle of menstruation as a prayer for healing. Attention to magic and mystery is at the heart of her praxis. Lauren has been working with youth, teens, and adults for 20 years. She holds a degree in earth sciences and geography with a focus on the human nature relationship and holds certifications in ecological agriculture, regenerative design and nature awareness, advanced permaculture design, embodied social justice, and integrated trauma therapy. She's also a part of Beyond Boundaries in the Fierce Allies practice community. Her work and play are an expression of her prayer for eco-social co-liberation. Welcome, Lauren Haig, to the Founding Mothers podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Lauren is one of the co-founders of Weaving Earth. And I'd love to just start by hearing from you, Lauren, what is Weaving Earth and the different components that make that up and the people that make that up? Sure. We like to say Weaving Earth is a social profit. Technically, it's a nonprofit educational organization, but we like to think of ourselves as social profit. And we run nature-based education programs for youth, teens, and adults at the confluence of social, ecological, and personal systems change. And what that looks like is we have various programs and consulting that we do with different organizations on our four curricular pillars, which is earth intimacy, co-liberation, embodiment, and prayerful action. And we weave those four things and the bundle of content that falls underneath each of those pillars together in support of really looking at how do we educate for these times. And we ask ourselves that question a lot. And part of what we like about it is it's it's a relational question. It's emergent and it's doing its best to meet the moment that we are in. So that's a little bit about Weaving Earth. One of the reasons why I personally was drawn to Weaving Earth was just this idea of rethinking what education needs to be and the ways of addressing that. And when you talk about the confluence of ecological, social, and personal systems change, could we actually just break that down for a minute so listeners can digest each piece individually? I know they must intersect, but how would you break them down individually? Yes. 
I think I might start with the intersection. So thanks for saying that. There's so many entry points into the work that we do, but where I'm going to start right now is that one of the wounds that we are addressing is separation. And at one level, that separation of humans from earth or humans from being a part of nature. And we really are looking at how do we remember, truly remember humans as a part of nature, as a part of the natural system and as a part of the ecology and as ecological beings. And it's one thing to say that, and then it's another to actually feel that, embody that, and have actions align with that embodied sense. So that is really the prayer at the center of what we're up to. And then in addition, ecological, we're looking at what are the ways in which we are obviously climate change, climate chaos, so many places have been degraded soil, water, forest, the, all the fires that are happening. There's so much out there that we could speak to in this topic. But we're really looking at how do we as humans for ourselves as beneficial parts of the ecosystem, what do we need to do to help heal the soil, tend to the waters, center water, tend to the forests in support of fire mitigation, these huge catastrophic fire mitigations, I should say. The ecological systems change is it's both a replacing ourselves back into the ecology and then what do we do to have the systems model that and then what are the actions, the day-to-day -day actions that we want to take to support ecological well-being. And then when it gets to social, it's, it's quite hard to do that without A, working together and B, also addressing the various systems of dominance that have gotten us into this mess that we're in right now. And so one of them I already spoke to, which is the idea that humans are dominant over the earth, but also the various systems of dominance and oppression, cis-heteropatriarchy, white supremacy, racialized capitalism, there's so many that have created systems and structures based on dominance. And what we're looking at in our educational system is how do we address that, critically engage those systems of dominance, and then also recollect what we say a deeper human inheritance of belonging, of dignity, of respect. So that piece addresses Again, it intersects, but it addresses the social and the personal, I would say, systems change and the ecological, really, because it's also tied. And, and then in addition, there's a piece in there around how do we remember to um, think like ecological beings, act like ecological beings in our social systems and think like a circle, work together. So many projects, so many things oftentimes break down at the relational between human to human relational level. And so what skills, what resourcing would be supportive to support that? And so much of that is then tied to our own work individually, relationally, and collectively around addressing the traumas that we have each experienced, again, personally and collectively, and the somatic healing really that is needed to help us be as resourced 
and resilient as possible. All of that is in there and it's a mouthful really to respond to your question. And it's also a big task. So I want to just say we are not here to say that we have all of that figured out or that we are the only people thinking about that or looking at that. There are many out there and we feel very grateful to be part of such a beautiful network of organizations and individuals and tribal nations who have been speaking to this for time immemorial. Immemorial. Excuse me, I stuttered a little bit there. And yeah, but again, back to our question is how do we educate for these times? And so we're looking at all of that in context of education and what do we really need to be supporting our youth, our teens, and our adult community to relearn, to learn, to remember. Yeah, I there's two things I want to dive deeper into. One is what you just named around this being a really big task. And obviously it's not one that you all are owning by any means, but that you're part of on a larger collective level. And one thing that for those who aren't familiar with Weaving Earth, there seems to be a number of people and organizations that make up your collective. So can you talk a bit about who those folks are individually or organizationally that you all work with? Sure. That is also a large question. Where would I start there? I think what I would say is that one of the questions that you asked me when we first met or that you sent to me is, where did Weaving Earth come from? And I think that it came from, it was originally founded by myself and two others, Dave Hagen, Will Scott, and we had been working together in various forms of education and mentoring, apprenticing with various people. And there's three people that, or four people, excuse me, that I really want to speak to right now, just in terms of bigger picture vision and imprint. One of them is Saban Fusome, who is now an ancestor, who is a dear friend and and mentor of mine personally and of ours. And she was really full blessing for yes, you need to do this weaving earth thing. And I also want to mention Jeanette Acosta, who is also currently a teacher with us and on the board. And she was also one of the people, she's my auntie. She's an indigenous permaculture teacher is how she likes to describe herself. Herbalist, amazing, just amazing person. And she also was like a full yes for this, these questions that you're asking, this work that that you're speaking to really needs to come forward in this way. So she's been there since the beginning. Our uncle Paul Rayfield, who is an Odawa elder from the Great Lakes, Michigan region. And he also has been a hugely influential mentor in our lives and was there at the beginning and the inception and the gave us the courage, I would say, to say yes to such a vision. And Gigi Coyle, I want to mention her as well, who similarly is an elder, a white European descent elder. And she also works with us now as an advisor, guide, teacher, and is extre- was extremely supportive in asking us a lot of questions to help us get to how do we have the structure of the organization match, meet the prayer at the center. And there's so many people that are involved in Weaving Earth now. Bronte Velez, 
who you may have heard of out there, who also co-founded an organization called Led to Life. They're doing amazing work. If you haven't heard about them, check them out. But Bronte, dear friend and co-teacher, alumni and on the board as well. And gosh, there are so many people. Redbird, Solace, Tara, I don't know if I should list everybody, Justine, Taylor. It's a collection of people who are looking at similar questions and doing similar work in their lives or maybe in their organizations. And we've come together to do our thing as Weaving Earth. Oh my gosh. Thank you for naming some of those people and giving some full color to who they may be and what perspective they may be bringing. And obviously you can't simply name everybody I'm sure that you have collaborated with or has contributed to this vision. But I think that's so important to just acknowledge that this isn't an individual kind of person (laughs) named Lauren who's creating programs in education, but really the effort of a larger collective. And on that point about where the first vision came from, is there anything that you wanted to share around the origin story and how this came to be that you haven't already touched on? One thing I need to do, I'm just now the list of, oh my gosh, who did I just say? (laughs) I forgot somebody very important named Sam, (laughs) who is key and essential to Weaving Earth and the shape that Weaving Earth is in now. So thank you, Sam. Yeah, there's so many others. I'm just, you know who you are, but I hope you feel loved in this moment. And I can say that I first got into the work through the lens of ecological design, soil science. I did my thesis related to renewable energy, and I was asking these big questions And when I got finished with my thesis, my answer at the end of it was, it depends on where you are, it's site specific, and it can't be one answer. And I remember at the time feeling like, oh, did I just fail my thesis? Did I just say nothing? And then as I sat with it, I'm like, no, that that is exactly, that's just true. It does depend, and there isn't just one way or one answer, and it is place specific, it is ecologically specific, it is culturally specific, and I think that even now when I hear so many people trying to figure out what to do about climate change, especially at the government level, there's like still this idea that we need one sweeping day. And I think that it is a, it's an ecological response. It's many trees make up the forest and there's mycelium underneath the soil and there's water that's running through and it's all of these things metaphorically I'm taking that as a metaphor as well to speak to like it's we need many options and I was really ecologically focused and nature-based focused and working for a few organizations doing really good work specifically related to that and one of the things that really encouraged us to start weaving earth and the way that we're doing things now is the work wasn't so appropriately enough addressing systems of oppression, systems of dominance, liberation. And I think that we, at Weaving Earth, how we hold it is that if you're going to connect to land, to water, to earth, you have to also address the legacy of place and the history of place. And there is a lot of beauty in the legacy and the history of place. And there's also a lot of hard things that have happened through the colonial legacy and through 
white supremacy in the name of white supremacy and and in the name of cis heteropatriarchy too, which ties also very directly to human dominance over the earth. So I think for us, that's one of the reasons why we felt like we really need to start, we ended up starting our own organization was to really bring those pieces together in the work that we were doing as best we could and have that lead to peripheral action. And then we've learned a lot along the way of what that actually means and what that actually takes. And that then leads also to what I was speaking to before about our fourth pillar being around embodiment and the somatic personal nervous system work that's needed to really unwind the traumas that have that we've inherited and that are happening daily in current time too. They're not just past, they're current. And the hope is that we can minimize the future ones as much as we can. Yeah, I think in the world of environmentalism or climate justice, I have personally seen how much that addressing the layers of oppression in our colonialism history is so missing from the dialogue or centering indigenous voices, for example, who have been keepers of the earth for so long and have so much wisdom and leadership to be shared. And yeah, that could maybe be a tangent around how it sounds like relationship building is so integral to what you do in the relational piece of your work is front and center. But I'm sure some listeners would be very curious on how do you actually go about building such a integrated function of perspectives? I think one of the guiding questions that we ask a lot is are around partnership and what does it really mean to partner? And I think that for a lot of us, that's not something that we're taught in school. And actually, more what is often modeled is competition. And I don't want to get repetitive, but it dominates. It's either like a power over or a power under. So we're asking questions along with many other people out there speaking to Weaving Earth, we're asking questions around um, what is it to really be power with, acknowledge the power that's in the circle, that's in the room, have that be transparent, the power differentials and the power that's there. And then how do we be power with the circle? And what is it to really partner? What is it to really think and act like a circle or like a spiral hmm. or like an ecosystem? And we part of why we started working with youth is because we were working with adults and realizing how much unlearning needed to happen related to that and also how much retraining needed to happen related to that and bringing up all sorts of different pain points for people related to their educational experience growing up and i am not anti the educational system in full. Like I'm not making a blanket statement about that. And there are so many good teachers and educators out there. So I'm, I feel with you. And what we're out here doing is really trying to support an education that is bringing in those relational pieces in support of like an identity of relationality, if you will, so that things aren't seemed as siloed problems or as siloed facets of the world, but are really seen as interconnected. Our curriculum is designed to do that. And we do that in various ways, but 
I suppose that's how I would answer your question. Yeah, that was a perfect answer. And also connecting that dot back to where we first learn what it means to relate to one another, which for so many people is within a school system. And I really resonated with that competition piece, like even the grading system and the ways that we're ranked against one another or separated from one another at such a young age. I'm personally so grateful that you all are focusing on the youth because they are the leaders of now and the future. And to kind of program from the start that's possible is beautiful. So I'd love to hear more about that in a minute. But first, let's just zoom out and hear a bit about the vision that Weaving Earth has for the world. So on this note, imagine that all this work has actually manifested into some vision, into reality. What would that vision look like? One answer to that question is that I don't know, I can't actually answer that what it would look like on my own. I think that it ties back to what I was saying before about it depends. I think that it, I think that how it looks is place specific, cultural specific, ecologically specific, which is three ways of saying something similar, but slightly different. We do say clearly that we envision a world beyond dominance and that we envision communities that are rooted in justice, in interrelationship, and in earth care. And we envision a planet whose ecological and cultural brilliance is preserved for the generations to come. So I'm with those things. (laughs) And I'm with the journey that it is to get there. And I'm with the, at least the prayer, the hope, the blessing that even moments of that in current time are rippling backwards in time to allow for that to be more true and rippling forwards in time to allow for that to be more true. It's a beautiful answer. And I think the fact that you can't, there isn't one blanket statement, just like with your thesis, (laughs) is again, the embodiment of what Weaving Earth is basically saying There, it's not about dominance with one perspective that dominates all, but rather it sounds like listening to and and letting different place-based, culture-based visions come to life and emerge. So that's really beautiful. And I did want to dive in before we move towards the end here, a bit on like the differences, if any, that you see between the youth-based educational programs and the adult-based educational programs and some things that have inspired you from each of those. Yeah, I love that. I'll start with the youth. I think that we work with youth of many ages, starting at age five and all the way up into teens, depending on how old they are, how it looks is different. But we do a lot of the learning through embodied play and through modeling. And so we'll take a topic like, for example, this is the one that's coming to mind. On the place where that we rent to run programs, there's a small creek in the back of the area and the area around the creek gets quite muddy and this is the zone where the five to six-year-olds hang out and they're getting quite muddy (laughs) throughout the day which is very fun which we encourage (laughs) but also we were getting a lot of rain this year I live on southern Pomo territory in northern California and so that's where these youth programs are currently being held our programs are are also online and in various places, but our core youth programs are there where our home base is. 
And anyway, so there's this creek and we got a lot of rain early this year and the area around the creek was quite muddy and the little ones with their little legs started sinking. And so we thought, okay, what's needed? We need a bridge. And so the older group helped to build a bridge and the way that the bridge was built was like, okay, we need material. Where are we going to get that? There's a forest that we have access to and there's a lot of work being done in that forest right now related to forest fires, catastrophic forest fires and tending of the forest in a healthy way to minimize the impact of the fire season. The learning then is all about that and then all about the harvesting and what is it to actually harvest a tree in a respectful way and see resource as relationship, as family, as kin, and have that harvesting be a part of a, a partnership identity, maybe I'll say. And then what is it to actually prep the wood, create the bridge? And then we were working with one of our dear friends, Edward Willie, Redbird Willie, who is a indigenous local indigenous man who lives right near us, who's, all, who's also a POMO. And he was doing rope making with the that older group. And so we created the handrail for the kids was this homemade rope. And so then the older kids who are in their early teens are coming in to help the little kids with their oh. <laughs> littler legs who are sinking in the mud in this project. Embedded into it is this whole intergenerational experience and and connection and also action because it's okay, here's a part of the learning is here's an emergent problem, if you will, and we need to do something about it. So what's our process for how do we meet the emergent moment and how do we do that in the most relational way possible? Mm. So that's a story that comes to me as you ask about the youth. I don't even remember what your question was. I hope I even answered Oh, you are it. answering it beyond my wildest dreams. I think you're really painting a picture for listeners in terms of what this education looks like. And is there an impact you have seen from youth going through that type of program? Yeah, I think the impact varies, of course. But what we've heard from parents is that they feel that their kids are learning social emotional development pieces and really how to we do a lot of that in our programs like how to actually work together oh conflict just arose how do we meet that and have that not be our our, our elder who I mentioned earlier and mentor and dear friend Gigi Coyle she calls it bump friendly but how to be bump friendly oh a conflict happened or a disagreement happened and is there a way that we can be with that that doesn't mean we can always be with that sometimes there's too much in the field. And sometimes the paradifferential is just too real and it's it's too much. So we are not under the false idea that it always can be worked in this way. We do, especially with the little ones, when the conflicts are small, try to teach them how to meet that in the moment. So we hear that as feedback a lot, that that's been helpful and that the parents and the families surrounding these youth are learning so much about the local ecosystem. It sounds a lot of times like all we do is play games, (laughs) but the games are embedded with all sorts of teachings. Okay, the group right now is working with inclusion, exclusion. So how can we tailor this activity to meet that both directly but also indirectly and so there's an ecological knowledge that's being built and then also a social relational knowledge in the group the age groups just to define it is it set between a certain age group it sounds like there's a teen program then a youth program 
online and in person. So anything else you want to just elaborate on the programs themselves and they're available too? Yeah, there are programs for all those ages and some of them are larger age spans so that the ages are together in in, in a wider span of time. Yep. <laughs> that was a funny way of saying that. Yep. But and sometimes they're broken up like the fives and sixes might be together and the teens might be together. So it varies and you can find that out on our website. And then we currently have a teen program called Queer World Making, which was developed in partnership with Solace and Angus. And you can find out more about them on our website. And that has an online component and an in-person component. And then we also did a youth radio show, which you can find on Weaving Earth Radio. We called it K-Web Radio, which is on all the podcasts. That was something that, that emerged out of the pandemic time. And then we also have adult programming. So we do various things. Our main intensive program has been called the We Immersion. And it's a nine-month, fairly intensive training in our relational education curriculum. And I'm remembering back to one of your questions a few minutes ago, which was, how does that work in the adult program? And in the adult program, we are doing a lot of the same things that I just spoke to in the youth program. And that's pretty intentional. But then we're also debriefing through a critical lens of, okay, and how does this relate to the current state of the local ecology, the global ecology, the local social system that we're in right now, the global social system. And there's a hope also that we're training trainers. We're training people who are then going out and doing amazing work in the world, which is true. The people that have come through the program are show up already doing amazing things in the world and with all sorts of gifts and contribute to the container in such potent ways and then go through the program and leave and are doing great work in the world. I'm sold. I want to take this program myself. (laughs) And on that note, what types of people are attracted to doing that nine-month commitment? And you're speaking to a little bit, but just want to elaborate. So if someone's listening, can see themselves or hear themselves in this. Yeah. One thing to say is in to, to root ourselves in a moment in time, it's March of 2022. And we, we actually haven't run the immersion since, wow, it's March, since March of 2020. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was, I wasn't expecting that when I started the sentence. Yep. So it's been a f- couple of years just because we paused that level of programming in person because of the pandemic. And What we've been offering in the meantime is a couple of online courses and some webinars. But to your question, who, gosh, who is drawn? I think it's a heart calling. I think it's oftentimes educators. I think it's oftentimes people who are, have gone through various levels of schooling and are feeling a little bit like, maybe disenchanted or wanting to be re-enchanted or feeling the weight of the ecological and social crises of our times and wondering what do I do and what can I do? And again, we don't have all the answers, but we attempt to be a container, a community of practice where we can learn together, make mistakes together, grow together, and do our best to come out a little bit more equipped and informed and resilient. Yeah, and, and the, I'm imagining the community piece in itself can be just so nourishing for folks. And you never know what can be born from that container in itself. So 
I know there's like a magical piece to this that you can't really quantify. Or, yes, yeah. I love that you brought in the magical piece. Oh, thank yeah. you, thank you. <laughs> there is a magical piece. I think that's really important. And I actually often do make it a point to speak directly to the magic because I think that it's important. And it, one of the lines in my bio is that magic and mystery are at the heart of my practice. I think that it's important to celebrate the magic and we have values on our website. One of them is we believe in magic and there is something extremely nourishing about the community piece and being witnessed and learning to be a witness and learning to feel into the circle of who has the spark right now, or is it my turn to speak or, or is it my turn to listen and to really be in the practice of that rather than the prescription of that. And to celebrate and uplift the many different ways that leadership shows up. I think that so often leadership, there can be a preconceived notion, which has been very, what's the word, intentionally. Yep. I was going to say intellectually, and actually maybe that's true also. Intentionally and intellectually prescribed of what leadership looks like. And in the community container, it's okay, what are the various forms of leadership? And maybe leadership looks like letting the magic through or tapping into our own creativity in the moment and building relationship to our intuition and seeing what comes from there. And I did not just list all the ways, but yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, which I'm now going back in time a little bit in our conversation, but I really did want to underline and ask you a little bit more around the role of prayer in what you're doing, because I think magic, prayer, these are maybe things that we keep intimate to ourselves that we believe in them or practice them. And at the same time, I want to have more of a conversation about that with you. So the pillar around prayer and just like anything else, you could elaborate on what that actually means and how you would define that. Yeah, thanks for that question. So the pillar that you're referring to is we call it prayerful action. And why did we put those words together? Why do we call it that? I think in essence, it's it's a prayer in itself. It's a call that our actions can come sourced from a connection to something greater than ourselves, which one way that we really think about that is our interdependence. And one of the things we say about relational education is that it has to be a nursery for interdependence and differentiation, which is also an ecological principle. So if you think about the forest again, interdependence is one of the key fabrics that make up the forest and also differentiation is as well. There's different plants, animals, beings in the ecosystem that provide different sources of nourishment to each other, different sources of medicine to each other. And I'm saying to each other so that it doesn't in a way sound like the only sources of nourishment that the forest is providing is somehow for humans. I think that is true, of course, and also it's for each other so that it's not as human-centric, hopefully. So I think that we call it prayerful action also to get at that. What is it? Questions like, what is meant to do? Where am I to be? Which I'm hearing Gigi in my ear with those questions. And yeah, I just was feeling Savon Fu also back to where we started in just the, what is it that's my calling? And she was so encouraging of trusting those impulses. One of the things though I want to say to that, one of the questions that ask 
at Weaving Earth a lot is how would we know if it's our intuition or our social conditioning? I think that's really important because in the name of prayer, in the name of intuition, a lot of pretty awful things have happened. And the colonial legacy, the systems of dominance that we've already been talking about, many actions have been made upholding those systems in the name of prayer. So I think that there is something to be accountable to there. And I feel deeply committed to centering magic and acknowledging that it's real. And we share synchronicity stories and those moments of weird in quotes where it just seemed like, whoa, that could be something like I was thinking about you and you just called me, or that could be like, I was, that bird just landed right there and looked me in the eye and I knew right then, da, 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 whatever yeah. it is. We celebrate those moments and we also do our best to center curiosity as a pathway, as a guide to deepening our relationship to our acknowledgement with the mystery, the magic, and um, the creative life force that is flowing. Oh, I have chills as you're putting words to something that I think so many people have experienced. I know for myself, what comes to mind is actually the contrast of that, where we look to social media and the internet and Google or whatever for the answers to things, rather than just like allowing ourselves to be really more a channel to receive or to be on a journey of inquiry in itself that doesn't have the answer right in that moment. I just love how you're centering that in the work that you're doing. And with that, as we wrap up here, I'd love to hear if you have an invitation for or an inquiry for our listeners as something that they can leave this podcast with today. Ooh, thank you for listening to all of that. I appreciate the questions and the attention and I hope that something I said sparked something in you. And gosh, if I was going to give an invitation, invitation would be to take a moment to do whatever it is that is resourcing for you. You know what that is. There's many ways. And, and then to go outside and sit, stand, maybe walk, maybe lie down, whatever it is that you want to do or is right for you. But just see if you can find a place outside and just let yourself be enchanted, be belonged by that patch of grass near you or that bird near you or that tree near you or the flower or the leaf on the ground, or the rock that's next to you, whatever it may be, just let yourself, just for even a few minutes, let yourself be enchanted by, belonged by, that being that friend. And I offer that with a prayer that we can reclaim our attention, which is so sought after these days. I know Adrian Marie Brown speaks to attention, liberation, and we speak a lot to that at Weaving Earth as well. Thank you for that framing. And yes, may you be enchanted by, belonged by, and attentive to what is around you. 
Thank you so much for <laughs> offering that to anyone listening. And I just want to end it on that. <laughs> Although I will ask before we do wrap, what would support look like for you for Weaving Earth? How could we support the vision that you're bringing to life? Oh, thank you for that question. If you are listening and you feel like you have an answer to that, we would love to hear it. Getting in touch is welcome. And supporting our work through collaboration financially is always helpful. Through helping spread the word is always helpful. Yeah, we are looking for a home for our educational content to continue to blossom. So if you have any ideas about that. But yeah, in general, I would just say if you are listening and you have an idea of what could be mutually supportive, we would be happy to hear that. And thank you for getting in touch. And on that note, where can people get in touch? Yes, our website is weavingearth.com. And you can email info at weavingearth.org. And my name again is Lauren Haig. I'm the executive director. So you can you can reach out to me there. And we have an Instagram. It's weaving underscore earth. We have a Facebook. We have all that stuff, but we use Instagram more. <laughs> so that's a great place to stay in touch, it sounds like. Yeah. Those who Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us and for all of the wisdom that you shared. I am personally re-energized, inspired, and really feeling connected to something bigger than myself just through this conversation. So I hope that others are left with the same or better experience, whatever suits them. So thank you again. Thank you so much. And it's great to connect with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Founding Mothers podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Emily Race, and edited by Eric Weisberg. If you want to support the show, please leave us a rating or share this episode with the important people in your life. We'd also love to hear from you if you or someone you know would be a great guest to share about their vision for the world. You can email emily at founding-mothers.com or visit www.founding-mothers.com slash podcast.